Hey everybody, buckle up. Today we're going to be talking about Napa Valley and the Indianapolis 500 with one of my favorite winemakers, Randy Lewis of Lewis Cellars. This is Doug Schaefer and welcome to our podcast here at Schaefer Vineyards. I really appreciate you listening to The Taste. We have a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Doug Schaefer again back with another episode of The Taste. Um, really happy to have a friend of mine who I don't see often enough, fellow vintner, neighbor just down the road, Randy Lewis of Lewis Cellars. Randy, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Um, I got to tell you a story. I, you know, I've been doing this a long time. It was back in the 90s, mid to late 90s. I started hearing about this new winery, this new Cabernet, Lewis. Elias, I go, do you know Lewis? He goes, I don't know Lewis. I mean, it's good. I've heard it's good. So we went out to lunch and had a bottle, and yeah, it was really good. And it was like, you know, so I'm talking to the, the wine buyer there. I said, who is, where is, it, who is this guy? Said, you know, where's this come from? He goes, this guy, Randy Lewis. He used to, you know, race, you know, race cars, race car driver. Yeah, I looked at him. I looked at Elias. I said, Jesus, a race car driver making wine? You got to be kidding me. And now I was driving back to the winery. I thought, well, my dad was published textbooks and <laughs> he became a winemaker too. So I realized it's like, hey, you know, everybody's stories, everybody's got a different background. A lot of ways to get there. Yeah. So help me out. Where, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Actually Georgia. born in Charlotte because um, my mom was from Charlotte and she was there and my dad was in the war. So born in Charlotte, but moved back to Atlanta pretty quickly. Okay. So your dad was in the war. What service? Uh, the Navy. Navy. Navy in the Pacific. And siblings? Two sisters. Two sisters. So what was uh, childhood like growing up well, in Atlanta? <laughs> I mean, there were some good parts and bad parts. <laughs> well, t- tell me tell me both. <laughs> well, my da- mom and dad broke up pretty early, so okay. um, my mom tried to raise me and had a rough time. <laughs> Why would you ever? No, come on, Randy. Why would you're a nice guy? I've known you for years. What? 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 What was going on? Well, I was a little crazy, especially in cars. So the car thing started early. It did, like at age sixteen. Yep. Even so, before, when a friend could drive, and I'd just be shotgun. All right, but before we get to cars, high school sports activities. You know, I like wasn't that? very good at sports. Um, yeah. I was uh, the only the only thing that I did well in the state competition was wrestling. Okay, so I was a pretty good wrestler. I mean, I played all the sports. I played baseball. My dad was an excellent athlete, so of course, he was disappointed when I was not an excellent athlete because he was a star pitcher, number one in the state in tennis. Wow. Um, so I tried them all and. Just wasn't very good. Well, you know, we've all got our own stuff. So <laughs> with the car thing, was it driving or, or were you like totally a mechanic guy tearing engines apart and all that stuff? No, I didn't like working on the cars. I had to when I, yeah. when I started racing professionally because I, didn't, I couldn't afford to pay somebody. But right. no, I just love driving them. So you're 16 and you're, you're hot rodding around Atlanta. And the, the police probably get to know you. They, they do. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was a funny one one time uh, when I graduated from high school, we went out and we decided we'd just have a little fun with the police. And we didn't, <laughs> I didn't drink back then. I okay. mean, nothing. Didn't yeah. have a beer until I got in college. So we were sober. Um, so we found this guy and we just ran the stop sign right by him. A, a policeman. Uh huh. You saw him and said, "We're just going to do." We're going to run the stop purpose. sign. Okay. See if he can catch us. But he didn't. He didn't turn. He didn't 
So we thought, well, he's asleep. He must be asleep. So we went by, beeped our horn, and ran it again. And then the fun began. <laughs> you beeped your horn and ran again. How many guys in the car? Just, just my friend and I. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you're, so, dri- you're driving. and, and so yeah. it was a slow news day because it wasn't the same cop we kept saying. that They brought in dozens of police cars eventually. And we went in behind a guy's house and thought, well, we'll hide here for a while. And then a helicopter arrived. So they were chasing you all over town, yep. up to 12 cop cars. <laughs> and you're, you're eight, just graduated from high school. Yep. Your poor mother. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. So anyway, the officer gets out. It's Officer McWhorter. Actually, I'll never forget because he gave me my first ever ticket. And he said, uh, well, John, because that was my name, John Arliss, I guess you weren't speeding this time either, huh? <laughs> <laughs> So kind of funny. That's pretty good. So what was the uh, consequence? Nothing. My dad got me off. Oh, jeez. Jeez. So so it starts. I didn't hurt anything. That's good. You know, we didn't crash in the cars or, or, yeah, it was just fun. Well, good. Okay. I can relate. Totally. So after high school, where where to then? Well, see, I was going to be a doctor. So I took, you know, like Latin in high school and German derivatives and blah, blah, blah. And so I went to Vanderbilt and for right. and pre-med and did two years of pre-med and realized I don't want to be a doctor. So then I went to University of Florida to have fun, had a little too much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the dean's list, but I was on his bad list too. So I had a motorcycle and the police never caught me on that thing either. <laughs> did you like beep, beep and run a stop? No, we just were going fast. Yeah, just going fast. The dean and you were on a first name basis. We were okay. I could got it. I'm piecing this together. Then it was time to move on. Okay. So I dropped out of school for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to Europe. Worked in London for a little bit in an accounting firm. Took a little bit too long a vacation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I just kept vacationing. So I I lived over there until my money ran out. Until I lost like thirty pounds, eating on a dollar a day in Paris. Yeah. So you're like how old? Twenty three, four? Well, you know, well eighteen. No, well twenty. Yeah, twenty one. All right. So the money runs out in Europe. Yeah. So I have to come back. Right. I sell shoes in Atlanta for a little bit just to get enough money to leave again. Then I drive across country, end up in the Haight Ashbury for one night. Didn't have a good night, <laughs> so I got on a plane to Hawaii. Just odd jobs over there. Hung out, and then after about nine months, went you know. Everybody's disappointed in me. I might as well at least finish school. So all the people I was partying with were from San Jose State. So went to San Jose State. Okay. Uh, got my BS degree there. And uh, then went to, uh, and then started racing at that time. Okay. Kinda. So that's, yeah, that, that was, I was thinking about you last night. So when did that kick in? So you, you got out of, you got your BS, you, you know, cleaned up your act a little bit. And that's when you started, you started racing. So were you like doing any racing before that no, at nothing. all? You nothing. You know, I didn't start. Most, most kids start with go-karts and stuff like that. Right. My family wouldn't let me have a go-kart. Um, so I didn't drive a race car until I was 24, which is pretty old. And I helped a friend work on his car. And he said, well, you know, I've never won a race in this car. Why don't you take it out and go through driver's school and give it a shot? So I won like 12 or 13 races in the West Coast Championship and went, this is, I like this. No, okay, that's all right. You you go out and start winning races. What kind of car car was Lotus it? Lotus twenty three B C Sports Racing. 
Okay. All right. Now you're talking like Greek to me, so don't yeah. do that to me. So is that, is that like a Formula One type car? No, it's no, a little two-seater enclosed wheel made in England. Okay. Lotus. Okay. Oh, yeah. Really okay. famous. The 23B was really famous sports car, little sports car. So everybody's got the same car. No, no. There were Elvas. There were all kinds of little cars. Got it. Yeah. And so, okay. So this, this other guy's car, you're driving it. Yeah. And when you win, do you get money? No. Okay. Now you see where I'm going with this. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I saw my little cute sports car that I had in Europe and bought a friend's um, Pontiac station wagon for almost nothing, but it had a big enough motor so I could tow my trailer. Because in your trailer is the race car. Yep. All right. So you're just going race to race. Yeah. So what are you living on? Well, I'm still in school. Okay. Okay. So I'm still so going to school. So it. my family helped me through school. Okay. But they didn't help me after school. So right. um, <laughs> I, I went to, then I went to Berkeley uh, to graduate school uh, to work on my MBA. Okay. And I, I was not having a good time and not doing great either, BCs. And there was a series that I read about called the um, Formula B Continental Series that ran in America and Canada, and they paid you, you. You could earn some prize money. Got it. I mean, we're talking hundreds of dollars. But it would pay for me to sleep in my van, work on my car, and it pay for a set of tires occasionally. So I'd live in my van and did the whole series. And the series is going, what towns are we talking? We're talking Canada and Oh, we're talking, US? yeah, we're talking Minnesota, Wisconsin, Canada, California. Yeah. Is there like a, Ohio. A, a week or a race every week? Every, mm, probably every two weeks. Yeah. There's a bunch of other guys like you doing the same thing. Yep. There were a lot of wealthy guys, too, that yeah. didn't live in their van. <laughs> <laughs> so you did that. How long did you do that for? Just for one season. Okay. And then I was rookie of the year, qualified on the front row for the last race at Mostport, Canada, and got noticed by a Formula 2 team in Europe. Okay, this is cool. So a, a European team notices you because you're doing really well. Yep. I think you're being way modest. I think you were like <laughs> kicking butt. So it sounds like you were. So, so you're coming up through the ranks. You're doing really well. Where'd you be, where'd you learn to be such a good driver? Run away from cops? Yep. Yes. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> a racetrack's totally different though. Okay. Because because on the street you're not really on the limit because you don't want to crash. Whereas on the racetrack, well you don't want to crash on the racetrack either, but. You got to push the limits to so the max. Yeah. Got it. And you had no problem doing that? No. Okay. So <laughs> so when they you say they notice you, they're, so it's a team, they're looking for drivers? Is, um, is that the right Well, team? he just, you know, great guy. Um, but unfortunately, when I, so I sold everything I had over here, which was just the race car in the van. Right. Moved to London and didn't get, the, 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 the ride didn't materialize. So I went knocking on doors and um, found Wrangler Jeans, and Wrangler huh. sponsored me. So I did three years in Formula 3 over there on the Grand Prix circuit. So Formula 3, help me, Formula 1 is? Formula 3, Formula 1's the ultimate. Got Formula it. 3 is not even close, performance-wise and so forth. But every, world cha every future world champion for the next three, four, five years came out of Formula 3. Got it. So I ran against Jody Schechter, Alan Jones, James Hunt. Everybody knows James Hunt because right. of the movie. Right. Um, so I was running against them every weekend. Okay. And I'd beat them some of the time. Not as much as they beat me, obviously. That's right. why they became Formula 1 world champion. But they were a lot younger, too. Nobody really wanted a 27-year-old Formula 1 driver, you know. So. A 27-year-old? In that, that oh, game. really old. I mean, all these other kids were. I mean, now people are winning races at, at 17 years old in Formula One, you know? So, wow. yeah. So okay. I got a late start. Yeah. 
But right. it was good. I was the fastest American over there. So I got paid starting money to come to the races. Um, I did about 26 races a year, Monte Carlo, Nürburgring, Brands Hatch, all the famous ones. Yeah. Jackie Stewart was my teammate in a sense in that Wrangler. He was on all the Wrangler posters, and I was the lackey, you know. <laughs> Why did they put you on the poster? You're a good I was on a poster. Yeah, okay, yeah. good. I was going to yeah. say, you're a handsome dude. <laughs> Come on. So he's Jackie Stewart. So he's, he, so he's got an accent and long hair. Big deal. I, I, I'll tell you one funny side story. You know, I lived in England, and you know what Randy means in, in London or yes. England, right? Yeah. Okay. So because my last name is Lewis, and it can be pronounced very, very um, similarly to Levi's, um, they couldn't use my last name. So all the posters said, Randy is coming. <laughs> oh, my God. In, Lon in London. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. That's great. That's too funny. So uh, that's, so when they sponsor you, I'm just kind of, this is curious, just yeah. curious about the business. So when they sponsor you, basically, they're covering expenses, living expenses. They give, me X, amount, they give me X amount of money, okay. and I have to make it work. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean... But it equipment, wasn't that much are, money, are but they it paying was, for equipment. They paying for the cars and all that. Or was that part of your deal? Yeah, it covered pretty much all that the first year. The second year, they gave me almost twice as much, and I bought a BMW and hired a crew and stayed in hotels. Yeah. And but you know, it's peanuts by comparison today. But I was also making money at the races. So once so, again, not a lot. Maybe seven hundred bucks here, a thousand bucks there. But oh, hey, paid, paid the bills. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a living. So another kind of. Just curiosity question. So you said you hired the crew. So basically your pit crew, the guys taking care of the cars, the mechanics, the whole thing, you're the boss. Yeah. Or is it, there's not some other guy kind of no. general manager type running the whole no, show. No. So you're, you're the running first, the show. The first uh, year, um, I, well, the first two years I lived in the back of my van. Right. It was just me. <laughs> um, I didn't have a mechanic. I, I slept on a, a cot that folded out from the, from the wall, a Navy cot that I built. Mm-hmm. And all my equipment was in there, and I would drive to the race and work on the car and yeah. hop in it and buckle myself in and race. So okay, so, so I didn't have a crew till the third year. Got it. So it was third year. So you, that was three years in Europe with Wrangler. Yep. And then you came back to the states. Yep. Okay. How how did that happen? Well, the, the, they had the fuel econ They had a um, the economy wasn't doing well in the end of seventy three seventy four fuel crisis I think and. Right. Um, so it was, they weren't going to give me a Formula 2 ride, and I'd already done Formula 3 for three years. So I came back to America and did Formula 5000, and What's, Wrangler Gene sponsored me on that. Okay. What's the 5000 again? It's like, it's like a, a cheap Formula 1 car. Okay. It's, got, it's got lots of horsepower. It looks like a Formula 1 car, just not as tricked out. You know, right. not all the – I mean, it doesn't cost $500 million. It costs, you know – <laughs> Maybe a hundred grand, two hundred yeah, grand. Got yeah. it. So um, yeah, so I drove that for a number, for several years. Not every race because I didn't find sponsors for every race. So my whole life was actually just on the phone, calling Europe, the East Coast, the Midwest, the West Coast, and Asia, looking for money. So even though they sponsor the Wrangler was sponsoring you still had to find additional sponsors well no when they were but they didn't sponsor me in every race every year I see. and, okay. and then there were some gaps in there too where i didn't drive at all um Krabari wine of all people sponsored me for two years in the can-am which was pretty funny <laughs> uh, nice people great and um so that was 81 82 around the can-am series and somewhere along the way we met debbie 
your bride. Yeah, met Where'd Debbie you? in 78 at a wine tasting. Um, I was up talking about this 24 bottles of vanilla tasting we did. <laughs> So you were so you this so you were promoting wine at that time. This, no, just enjoying it. Just enjoying it. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. when I lived in Europe, you know, I'd stop in little wine towns and, and hang out uh, and drink during non-racing times. You know. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, so you guys met at a wine tasting. Yeah. So um, she said, "You know, I have a lot of Bordeaux. Uh, maybe we should do a tasting." There you go. <laughs> so anyway, we got to know each other a little bit, and um, then. Um, you know, she was divorced, and so um, we dated a little bit in 79, and then we lived together for five years. And this is when you were back racing the 5,000s? Well, you know, well, no, uh, 5,000 was over by then. Okay. 5,000 was over in, like, 76. So I did a little Can-Am racing in 77, 78, 79, just to race here and race there. Not not much. Didn't have any money, you know, didn't right. have any money. Right, um, Was living on, in a, on a friend's, on a mattress on a friend's uh, floor that had a spare room. So, um, and that's where I was in 78 when I met Debbie. So, (laughs) (laughs) so that that was good timing. We got to find you a permanent place to sleep. I'm concerned about that. (laughs) All right. So you guys, and so you guys lived together. You got married in 85, you said. Yeah. Yeah. And she was helping you with your career. She sure was. It took off. I tell you what, I didn't have. When did it take off? It it took off financially. Well, I didn't even do one race in 85. So okay. I was basically completely broke. And Debbie didn't have a lot of money either. So it was like, how are we getting married? We're broke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, what the heck? Guys. Why not? Right. <laughs> not racing this year. I got plenty of time to get married. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So we, um, we got married in Yosemite and uh, just had close family up. And then the next year, I got the biggest sponsor of my life in, in a high-tech company, Raychem. Wow. I mean, like, well, more than all the other 17 years put together. And how's that happen? Did well, they're I looking just, for a racer? Or you're, well, you're I found not, them. You're calm. I mean, I talked them into it. And so what's your pitch to these guys? What's in it for them? I said, uh, put a marketing man behind the wheel of a race car, and you got a combination you can't beat in the marketplace. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> Look at you. You should sell wine. <laughs> wow. And they, and they bought it. Yep. Okay, because you win big. You got that brake cam all over that car. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now you've got, now you've got a great sponsor. You've now got, got a great, a great sponsor. And then in 87, um, I pick up Toshiba, and they gave me more money than the first 18 years combined. Wow. And they sponsored me a couple of years, but they wanted me to do the Indy 500, which I really didn't want to do. Huh. Um, well, I'd seen t- too many people die, and, and, and also I'd never done an oval in my life. Right, because so Formula One is all right. Um, you know, so I'm what I'm forty three, forty three years, forty two years old at that stage, never having driven Indy or an oval. Okay, this is interesting to me because I'm not a, you know, I don't follow car racing, but right. you know, I grew up, you know, watching the Indy Five Hundred. You know, as a kid, that was like the Kentucky Derby. That's what was Super Bowl. You got to watch that. And so to hear you say it's like, I never wanted to do the Indy Five Hundred is is kind of surprises me but well as, but yeah your next, your next comment was people die in well race, people so. die uh, people died uh, yeah people died when i was racing formula three in europe it's just what you know things were weren't safe back then mm-hmm. but anyway so i did it i took my rookie test and um i don't know if you know what white walling the tires is but it's you know it's 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 taking um a piece of paint off the wall <laughs> 
like as thin as a razor blade, but not hurting the car. And uh, it's called white wall, white wall in the white tires. Walling the uh -huh. tires doesn't sound really safe to me, but no, no, going. it's you wouldn't want to do it. And yeah. I thought, you know, this is so cool. <laughs> I thought I'd be afraid, and I'm not afraid. And you're going like 180 miles an hour, over 200, over 200. Yeah, okay, at this stage, keep going. Later was 230, but this is um, just around 200, 205. And they told me you do that again, you're out of here. And I went, what do you mean, man? I'm, I didn't crash the car. I just took paint off the wall. <laughs> so anyway, I shaped up and uh, <laughs> put it in the show. Yeah. And uh, put it in the show the next five Indies. You raced five Indianapolis mm -hmm. 500s. Wow. Was it great? It was great. Yeah. You wouldn't think after doing the Nürburgring with, you know, 30, 40, 50 turns, however you want to count them, uh, that turning left four times would be exciting, but it's really exciting. Because you're averaging 225. I mean. <laughs> yeah, 225. You Football just field to, a second. And you want to keep it on the tr track. Yeah. And you've got a whole lot of other people really close to you doing the same thing. Yeah. Well, my hat's off to you, but I'm, I'm not going to head that way. <laughs> wow. So five Indies. And five then, Indies. Uh, and then you retired. Then after, I retired. After 20, 23 years? 23 years. Wow. Yeah. You know, I had a, I had a big crash in 91. And, okay. and it. It, um, I was driving a car that had been crashed by the previous driver, and it wasn't repaired properly. I mean, obviously, I thought it had been. They told me it had been. But anyway, I, as I turned into turn one on my first qualifying lap, uh, the rear suspension collapsed, and I hit the wall about 225. Oh. Didn't get hurt at all. Not a sore neck, nothing. Um, they cleared me to drive, but my team wouldn't give me the next car okay. that weekend. I had to wait till the next weekend. Um, but put it in the show. You know, again, yeah. I didn't quit because I was tired of driving or that it scared me. It didn't scare me. It just was, I don't have a great sponsor for next year. I'm sick of spending every day in my office looking for money. Yeah. I'm, I'm 20, I'm 46 years old. Um, I'm going to have to do something else eventually, and I'll never want to do something else eventually. So let's just get going. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> well, yeah. You're 46. I was 46. My last end. Yeah. Yeah. That's the time. You know, my dad, my dad was 48. It's like, I want to do something new. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got out in one piece. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you weren't afraid, but sitting here listening, you talk about, <laughs> I'm afraid. So, so you get out and what's, what's next? Obviously why? Well, somehow. you know, we helped a friend of ours, our best friend. Um, uh, when I was looking for sponsorship, um, I met, uh, well, I met, um, I was playing racquetball with Larry Ellison uh, when he was at Amdahl. Okay. And so they would let me use their computers at uh, what was Relational Software Inc. back then. I mean, after Amdahl when they started Relational Software Inc. And so they'd let me come in at night and use their computers to put out my proposals and stuff. Okay. So we became good friends, uh, became good friends with Bob Miner as well. Oh, and okay. then when things went public and everybody made a lot of money, Bob bought a place up here in 89. He was uh, with Oracle, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, got it. And he said, help. <laughs> um, and I said, Bob, I can't help you. I'm racing cars. He said, well, help me a little bit. And when you quit, we'll make a lot of wine. <laughs> really? Now, had, had you ever made wine before? Never. So, okay, help me. <laughs> he's a smart guy, Oracle. He's, yeah. he's got a lot of money, and he calls you for help, yeah. to say help. Why doesn't he call like a winemaker person? Well, I put that together. I found him a winemaker, okay. found a vineyard manager. I, I sold the grapes that we didn't want to keep for his winery. Uh, Debbie and I took him national. Um, after I quit racing, uh, we put him in like 35 states and uh, built up the brand pretty good. 
Um, but Bob got cancer in 93 and, mm. and passed away in 94. So it was time for Debbie and I to do our own thing. And his place was Oakville Ranch. It was. It was a gorgeous property. Unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. So at this point, well, doing all this business for him, you're obviously learn the business. Yeah. Know it. So, so what's, what's your, Debbie and you, what's, what's your next step? Well, we had made a, a wine called uh, Lewis Select okay. under the uh, under the Oakville Ranch label because we wanted to try W and I wanted to try a little different stuff with Chard and Cab right. than we were doing. So basically, you know, I worked a deal out with Bob to buy that from him because it was still in barrel and just make it Lewis Sellers instead of Lewis Select. Okay, so you're getting grapes from that ranch, yep. as you started, and this was what year? What year did you start, Lewis? Well, so, 90, with the 92 vintage. 92 vintage. 92 okay. cab, 93 shard. Okay. Yeah, that's when I started hearing about you. <laughs> no race car driver making wine. What are you talking about? Did you ever, were you ever racing and doing the wine thing at the same time? Or, well, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We were helping Bob in, in okay. 89, 90, and 91 while I was still driving. Okay. So, yeah, just not full-time, not, you know, because racing was full-time. But putting stuff together, hiring people working on selling the grapes that were excess and that sort of stuff. So Randy, let me, let me get this straight. You're, you're kind of racing, still finishing up, but you're starting to help Bob, you know, Bob Miner get into the wine business. Cause he said, come help me out. Right. But I mean, this is a whole new gig for you. You've been a race car driver. What did you, I mean, uh, how'd you know about getting into the wine business, you know, approaching people, selling wine? I mean, was, how did race car driving help you? Did it help you do that? Or was it, it, it did help cold? me do that. And, and even though I didn't finish my MBA, you know, being in the, you know, thinking about business, working on my MBA, um, helped me approach sponsors, feel more confident, um, you know, talking to somebody about business and, and dealing with companies like Toshiba, Samsung, Oracle. Um, you know, I've been dealing with business people and selling them on sponsorship for, for quite some time. So I was already a salesman. You know, you're doing it. Selling race, sell, selling a racing sponsorship is way harder than selling wine. There you go. Okay, so you were so you were a natural. So you, so when you're calling distributors in Illinois or yeah. New York, you you kind of know the drill. Yep, yep. And um, you know, a race team really, it sounds like racing is just completely different than winemaking. But you know, it, it's not totally different. Huh. Um, number one, you have to have the same passion. Right. Um, in both sports, both sports and both businesses. Number two, you've got to have the best equipment to win a race. You need the best grapes right. to make the best wine. And you got to have a great crew, not just for your pit stops, but taking care of the car. you got to have a great winemaker, assistant winemaker. you got to have a great seller, seller crew. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of similarities um, in what it takes to be successful in racing and what it takes to run a winery. Great analogy. I mean, you know, and no one ever thought, thank I'm so glad you're here to get that thing straight. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, jumping back to your racing days, you know, because you were living in your car and in yeah. your van and someone's floor. When you and Debbie get married and you're doing the Indy 500, where was, where was home base for you guys? Hillsboro, because okay. we didn't have enough money to buy a place up here. But when, so when you were racing, you were still home based in Hillsborough. Exactly. Okay. But the racing, I'm just going to think about traveling in the wine business. The racing travel, you're on the road like 80% of the year? Yeah, you're on the road about 200 days a year. That's tough. That's yeah. tough to worry about, yeah. too. Okay. I was just kind of flashback on that yeah. one. So, um, so you're back up here, started Lewis Cellars. You got grapes from Oakville, Oakville Ranch. 
facility? Were you custom crushing? Custom crushing. Okay. And then uh, when did you get into your current place? 2003. 2003. And you know the history of that place. I do. Because that was Jay Corley, Monticello built that place. For sparkling, right? For sparkling. I can't remember what year it was. Because we used to buy grapes from Jay at Monticello Vineyards. It's on Big Ranch Road. And he put up this building. Everybody says, what's that? Corley building. What for? He's got a winery. He's going to make sparkling wine. We're all like, really? Yeah. We call it the faux chateau. It is. It's kind of cute. (laughs) But And then uh, the the sparkling, it didn't work out. And then uh, I think... Tony. Tony Soder. Tony Soder. I don't know if he 10 bought years, it. Did, I he, think. did he buy it? Nope, he didn't. He, just leased he was it. leasing it. Tony Soder, when he started his brand called Etude, yep. was home based there, which was great, great, close by, so we could drop by and see him. And then you guys took over from there. We did. Okay. He was moving out while we were moving in because Behringer bought him. You know, he, he bought him and they took moved him to a nicer the facility place. down, yep. down Carneros. I remember that. And you're still there. We're still there. Great. The Faux Chateau. The Faux Chateau. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's cute. So you've been there. You moved in in 2004, you said? 03. 03. 03 was the first, first okay. crush. Now, are you, are, you, are you making the wine now? No, no, no. I, I made the wine for a few years. But, okay. uh, but I always had, except for a couple of years, I had consultants. Okay. Um, you know, Helen Turley helped me in 96. Great. Helped me finish off the 94 and 95 Reds. And then Paul Hobbs helped me after that. And then it turned out even with Helen, because um, she had a bad hip or knee or something, she couldn't get out in the vineyard. So I was the one doing all the sampling, reporting okay. back on how the vineyard looked. Then we'd taste together. And then um, I would be the one at the press. And we kind of talked about what to do, but I was the guy tasting it and making the, the decisions. And then I was the one in the vineyard, oftentimes making the picking decisions because you know, because she's well, she's, some, run, she's running around. She's busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and Paul was crazy too, uh, busy. So finally, I said, you know, why don't I just do this? I mean, I'm kind of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so I did, and so I kind of did it until um, until we moved over to Trefethen for one year because he had a building that he just built, and we were going to make that our barrel room. We bought our own equipment, you know, crush equipment. Right. Had our own pad. So that was going to be our home for a while until Etude became available. Okay. And John was like, hey, go for it. You know, so. Yeah. So then I then I needed a winemaker full time. I did not want to run the facility and manage the crew and, and do all that stuff. Right. Because Custom Crush, it's a little different. So who'd you, get, who'd you get as winemaker? Back then? Yeah. Uh, Robbie Meyer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's been around. Yeah. But working with work just quickly because a couple of great people you got to work with Helen and Paul. Yeah, I mean busy, crazy, stretched all the way out, but great wine people. What what did you learn? Uh, what anything special from each of them? What was I learned? Well, <laughs> um, I learned I learned what to do and what not to do from both of them a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but from Helen, <laughs> the reason I hired Helen is I wanted to take us into another just. Another mm-hmm. league. I mean, not only another league, but just another concept on how you make wine. Right. And she didn't care what the bricks was. And she just wanted the tannins ripe mm-hmm. and the fruit ripe. And then she, you know, she didn't believe in fining and filtering. And um, she liked native yeast. And um, so we've carried almost all of that forward. Right. Yeah. So we're, I, I can't think of too many things we've changed except for the fact since we have our own winery, we can do. 
we have more tanks to do different things and do you know batten on you know drain and press and, and right. So we couldn't do that with her, but I so I don't know if she would have done that or not. But anyway, so we've done a few tweaks on our run, but basically the concept is push it, push it, and you know we've got great fruit here in Napa, and we yeah. you know and we I'm I'm in your camp. We we should maximize what we have here. We've got great flavors, and you mentioned ripe tannins. That's something I've seen Elias move to over the last. Well, it's been 10 or 15 years. I yeah. Mean, PA, on, well, we're talking, we're all picking grapes right now. Harvest is just getting going. So we're all thinking about sampling and pH levels and bricks levels in the grapes before we pick them. And that's all important, but taste and flavor, you know, what's t- right. putting them in your mouth is important. But also the tannins. And it's tough to kind of, it's kind of a sensory thing with tannins, but it's uh, chewing the ski- seeds, chewing the skins. It sounds kind of weird, but... But yeah. Elias is out yeah. there chewing seeds and chewing skins, and, and he's like, you know, the tans aren't there yet. And yeah. uh, I said, I'm like, man, these taste pretty good to me. He goes, nope, not yet. So yeah. That's why he's that's, the winemaker. That's the last thing that happens, I think, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you get the sugar, you get the fruit character, but we don't want to be egg white fining or filtering or, right. yeah, we'd rather just push it up Do to it. whatever breaks it takes and get it right in the vineyard. Mm-hmm. Just make it taste good. Yeah. And then Debbie's son, Dennis, joined you guys. He did 20 years ago. It's been 20 years? 20 years. Dennis Bell, great guy. Yeah. I I don't know him well enough, but um, what's his role? His role, we hired him. He he was in human resources and really didn't find his niche. I mean, he wasn't totally happy. Mm -hmm. So we we, we didn't start making money. Obviously, when you start a winery (laughs) without a lot of money, you just... Put it back in and put it back in and put it back in. So right. you go broke every year. So we couldn't afford to hire him until '99. Then we started make, you know, we were up to up to nine thousand cases, and um, so we were making money, and so we hired him because it was just the two of us, you know, just you and Debbie. Yeah, just Debbie and I. Yeah. So we were custom crushing, obviously. Um, so we didn't have any employees as such, and you know, we were running, you know, we were doing all the sales out of our home yeah. down, down the peninsula to be hand wrote every invoice um, hmm. and uh, called everybody to make sure we got paid. <laughs> um, my, so, my, my mother used to do that. I got, <laughs> can I tell you a real fast one? Yeah, please. This, this is pretty cute. Um, you know, we're same era, you know, Schaefer, who's my mom and dad and myself and maybe one or two other people, Elias, but we were, didn't have room in the office so my mom and dad had to share an office and she did all the books and accountings and cutting checks and all that and he's around the show and i'm making wine the seller with elias but i remember walking into where they shared this office and it this is randy this is just classic so dad's on the phone with somebody in new york or boston it's early in the morning trying to talk him into can you take 20 more cases can you take 20 more can you please trying to you know get somebody to order some wine and my mom's right there next to him doing her thing. And she realizes he's on the phone with Boston. I'm not picking on you, Boston. It could right. be anywhere. Saying, hey, they're late. They owe us some money. They haven't paid yet. And so, and so she's like yelling at him as he's on the phone to the guy. He's got to pay. And he's, you know, oh, God, it was just crazy. It yeah. was just wild, you know. Please pay us. Please buy some more wine. Oh, okay. I interrupted. So you understand yeah. crazy times, right? Because yeah. we all started somewhere, right? And oh, we yeah. all, it didn't just fly out the door uh, in the beginning no. necessarily, you know? Yeah. So so you and Debbie doing it all by yourselves. Yep. Yeah. And so able to f- bring Dennis on board. Yeah. So he, 
he was just, he didn't really have a title or anything. Um, he would just do the stuff we didn't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So um, after he got, you know, more involved and learned the business and stuff, and we would send him to markets we didn't want to go to anymore because we went to every market, of course, to open them. Right. And right. Do, yeah. So, um, and we were tired of going to 12 markets a year or whatever. So, um, so we'd send him on the road. And sent him in California since we were winery direct in California. Mm-hmm. You know, right. we sold everything, just the, the two of us. So three of us didn't hurt. So that was it. And then he worked his way up to general manager. Of course, he gave him that title. I don't know if he's really general manager. <laughs> <laughs> he gave himself that title? Yeah, yeah, I like did, that. I think. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, a couple of years ago, um, I realized that, I mean, I didn't, I don't need a title. I mean, right. it, it's Lewis Sellers and I'm Lewis. But, um so I gave him my president's title about four or five years ago. Right. Because he earned it. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody asked me to. Debbie was shocked, like, whoa. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but he earned it. He earned it. He did earn it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So he's been great. Super. Yeah. And uh, still making great wines. Uh, 2013 Cabernet happened to be a special wine. Yeah. <laughs> Got wine of the year by the Wine Spectator. Yeah. That's really cool. Congratulations. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Pretty cool. So I got to ask you, how how was it? You know, well, see, well, that wine had been sold out for over nine months. It was the previous year release, right? So right. it was long gone. So, it was so long gone. It didn't. But people bought the 14, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was definitely a hit. I mean, you know, a, sure. a spur. And we were very proud, but not proud like puff your chest out or brag about it or... Mm-hmm. You know, we were obviously very, very, yeah. very happy, very proud, um, touched, whatever, that they would pick us. They said part of the reason was not just the cab was so good, but that everything we had made across the board, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Syrah, Merlot had always been, you know, in the 90s and some of the top wines. And so they thought we deserved it. That's great. That's yeah. that's nice to hear. Because yeah, you nice do, hear. Your, your wines are top notch across the board. And that's Thank a, you. That's a challenge. That's one we we attempt to do here also. It's well, you great. do it. Well, we <laughs> got to keep up with you. Um, so I got to ask you: Do you remember where you were and what you were doing when you heard that you got wine of the year? I got. I was sitting in my office and opened up a letter from um, Marvin. So I was just in my office and popping open mail, and he wrote a hand, you know a letter to us saying that we were picked. Wow. <laughs> That's cool. I'm glad yeah. you I'm glad you remember that. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. That's Marvin Schenk and he he runs a spectator. That's pretty yeah. cool. And then Jim came by afterwards, you know, and Jim congratulated Bobby. us and um, you know, cuz he was a good he was he really cared about Debbie and, and liked me too, of course, but uh really loved Deb and was also kind to us. You know, yeah. liked our wine, like what we were trying to do. Right. Vineyard sources. Do you, do you guys own your own vineyard? You no, nope. I have a little soak? one at the house where I live, and um, that's it. So Not even contract. an acre. Yeah. So how do you keep your growers happy? Well, you know, I pay them, but <laughs> but not stupid money because things have gotten stupid. You know, they from, have. yeah, they have gotten stupid, and so. But but we've been with people a long time, and a lot of the vineyards that we're in, we help plant. In other words. We, we found the bare land and, mm. and went to the owners and we picked the rootstock and the clone and the road direction and the trellis system. And we make every decision in, in, in all the vineyards. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, from watering to leafing to laterals to obviously fruit load. To, so 
pruning, everything. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's all done. We have a vineyard manager that oversees the whole thing, and then Josh and I go out there, work with the vine- work with their vineyard manager, but he knows what we what we need, and That's we good. get it. That's, That's why it's long term relationship. It's long term. Yeah, the best to have. Yeah. Good. Good. Um, and some sad news. Start of seventeen, we lost Debbie. Yeah. But uh, which was tough. Um, but you're making a wine in her honor, I hear. We sure are. We're making Tell a Sauvignon that. Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc. She used to drink almost all the Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, she would work all day and then we'd go up to the house once we had a house up here and um, and cook dinner because she wanted to. Right. And um, we're five miles out in the country, so it was a little bit of a hike out there, so you don't go back for milk. But she would shop, cook dinner, and she'd always drink Sauvignon Blanc yeah. while we were not just ours. You know, yeah. a bunch of other yeah. peoples as well that we love. Um, but that was her thing. And so that's why I did it. Good. Yeah. So you've got that one. What other wines do you have? You've got just the one cab or a couple cabs? No, you know, you know we've got, um, we, we have about 14 different SKUs. Oh, wow, we started really? with one cab and one shard. And now we have 14, approximately 14 different wines. We've got uh, four Cabernets. Okay. We've got four Chardonnays. We have two Sauvignon Blancs. We have a Syrah and a Syrah blend, a Merlot. I don't know if that adds enough yet. Another Syrah, some th- potentially three Syrahs. So I don't know if that adds. I think I add it all. Yeah. That's, <laughs> so you're, you're busy. You got we're busy. On. But, you know, we're, it wasn't a marketing ploy. It was, you know, you get different vineyards and they really can't go into one thing or they shouldn't. You know, you let them express where they're yeah. coming from. I, yeah. get, I see that. And a lot, and of, it, a lot of folks do that. That's, yeah. Is it? Tough from the uh, marketplace with the consumer. It's like they really like Lewis Cab, and then they're like, "Well, which one do they?" I mean, is that a challenge for them? Or it doesn't it's, seem to be. Doesn't seem well good. Because <laughs> I always, I always kind of thought that would be. And maybe, yeah. maybe I'm barking up. Maybe you and I need to talk more off, <laughs> off mic here. Um, oh, good. And so total production about ten thousand cases. So, we so haven't grown size. much since '99. When we got to nine, we just went. We're not going to have a yacht. We're not going to have a jet. We have. We, we're not, we don't need a nicer house. We're happy. We're fine. And we can hire dentists now. So why get bigger? And you don't oh. have to sleep in your car anymore. No. That's good. I didn't want any more employees. I didn't want... Yeah. I wanted to be able to sell out in bad years as well as maybe just not have enough in good years. But, you know, not be begging people nonstop. So right. That's a good business plan. I like yeah. that. <laughs> so i got to ask you, do you miss racing? Not not anymore. Um I couldn't even watch TV, the Indy 500 for, for years, um, but not really. You yeah. know, I've still got a Can-Am car, up, uh, uh, Infin- well, Sears Point, Sonoma Raceway, I guess they call it now. Uh, it's the only accident I didn't walk away from. Um, I, I, my car broke in half and my legs got uh, torn up pretty good. So I was in a hospital, well, not a hospital bed. They just plopped me back in my bed huh. for a few months before I could walk. So that car was literally broken in half. So I rebuilt that about... 10 years ago and I take that out. But um, do, you, do you take out, I mean, they have these vintage race leagues. Do you do without? I did one. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I did do one. Um, I was going to ask you about and that. And it was, it was kind of fun actually. Um, mine's a newer Can-Am car that has half the horsepower of the older Can-Am cars. So I was at a little bit of a disadvantage. And so I jumped the start the only way I was going to lead. Right. But they red flagged it because I jumped the start. <laughs> and so the next time, every the whole field passes me pretty much. But they all line up on the right side of the track. So I pass everyone but this young guy who's driving his dad's car. And I had talked to him before the race, and I said, do you think 
we can go two abreast over the hill there. And he just like, looks incredulous. <laughs> <laughs> and so the next lap, that's where I passed him. <laughs> Did you really? He looked over and just went... <laughs> Oh my god. Unfortunately gosh. the car broke like five laps later, but I did I pulled out a lead and then unfortunately lost the diff. But oh, good for it was you. fun. But you you take it out and just run it. You yeah, because I know they have days you can go down and take your car out and just run. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I do. Okay. Yeah. So Randy, if people want to find your wine, what's the best way to do it? Well, you know, we're we have a mailing list, of course. Okay. And um so we sell quite a bit winery direct. We're very proud to be in a lot of the top restaurants in the country as you are as well, obviously. Right. Um, that's how Debbie and I started. It was obviously uh, retail as well because our friends, that's where we bought our wine from. So you're going to sell to your friends, right? Right. But uh, yeah, so, um, and if they don't know where to get it, they can certainly call us and call tell them him. where to get it in their state or whatever okay. if they don't want to have it shipped there from us and so forth and so on. And website is? LewisSellers.com. Okay, so that will give you phone numbers and yeah. they can order off the website? That's they can. Great. Good. All right, Mo, listen, it's so good to see you. <laughs> thanks for coming in. I really wanted to hear about that, the race car guy, finally, after all these years. So thanks for telling me your story. Well, hey, you're very welcome. It's fun to be here, and you know how much I love your wines, and I'm serious. You know that. I've been well, collecting Schaefer for a long time. It's mutual. <laughs> thanks, Andy. <laughs> Take care. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. What a life. Talk about the need for speed. Sounds like Randy has always pursued things he loved at full throttle, and the wines of Lewis Cellars really speak to his passion for great fruit and great winemaking. Be sure to check out his wines. Thanks very much for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed the taste, please take a few minutes to leave a review in iTunes as it helps other people find the podcast. In addition, if you'd like to contact us directly, please email podcast at schafervineyards.com. We'll see you next time.